Hi, this is Jeff Cooper, and we welcome you to another episode of Disney at Play. We have a lot to talk about. We have had a chance over the last week and a half or so to visit every one of the four Walt Disney World parks uh, around property. We've had a chance to see what it's like with the parks reopened. We've had a chance to see what the crowd flow looked like. We've had a chance to see how Disney has taken measures to protect guests and its cast members from COVID-19. We've gotten a, gotten a sense of what is uh, happening right now at Walt Disney World. And so today's podcast is different. What we're gonna talk about right now is what's coming and what's not at Walt Disney World. From castles to closures. We have, uh, we're going to actually park to park to park to share insights and news and information about what's been going on and what is believed to be happening. Give you my thoughts and ideas, so be sure to join us and make sure that you also take a look at our notes page at disneyatplay.com because we have lots of photos, videos, and links that you're gonna wanna check into that are part of this podcast. And it begins at Epcot. Uh, Epcot was the last park I shared uh, just a couple of days ago at the start of the week and uh, gave you a whole sense of that. And by the way, we'll still be doing another podcast in the days to come on the uh, uh, Food and Dine Festival, I call it the Food and Dine um, Festival, and um, and that is coming. I can only eat so much though every time I go around World Showcase, so it takes a couple of days to actually do the whole podcast, pull that together, and to give you some real good sampling of what's going on there. But in the interim, last night in preparation for that podcast. I was walking around World Showcase Promenade around France at about 8 p.m. Now, think for a moment what it's like when you're at Epcot at 8 p.m. in the evening during the Food and Wine Festival. The streets are packed. People are lined up at the different booths. Everybody's having a great time. There's a sense of festival that is going on during the experience. Well, I posted three different photos of that moment. One facing toward um, Morocco, one facing toward France, and another facing toward UK. And literally, you can't count more than um, a dozen in one photo and about five or six in each of the other photos. This is concerning. This is, this is a focus on what needs to come. Uh, I cannot see how Disney can sustain its business model in the long term if it doesn't increase the number of guests in its park. This also played out as we visited World Showplace, which again, I'll talk about in the Food and Wine Festival, because I think this was the highlight of that. But in this instance, this very large space had from what I could count, about 80 um, standing tables and tables with chairs. Probably there were only about a dozen of those that were tables with chairs, but the rest were standing tables. But they were all very socially distanced. I mean, socially distanced, like 20 feet away, 15, 20 feet away 
from one another. It was very separated out throughout this experience. And yet, as many tables as there were, there were not more than about a dozen parties in that building. And so when you think about that, okay, you could still fill another 60, 70 parties of people in that building and still have everyone very socially distant from one another. It seems to me that the opportunity for Disney at this point is to find ways to start increasing the traffic into the parks. Now, if you go to the website for making a park reservation, because of course now you have to have a reservation to get in the park, if you go to that site, you will see that there are spaces available for guests who are staying on Disney property. Almost every park, almost every day. Now, in the next couple of days, the studios are not available to Disney re Resort guests, but to everybody else, uh, to every other park it is, including Epcot, which is what we're talking about. The same thing happens with Disney, uh, with theme park ticket guests. Um, there is availability almost every day in every park after this week. There's a lot of availability. You get to the pass holder pages and, well, let's just say for the next two and a half months, well, for the next month and a half, Disney's Hollywood Studios is out. And for, um, for the next, uh, and then after that, the weekends are out for the studios. And um, there are already days in which in August, and we haven't even gotten to August, where there are no parks available to annual pass holders, especially as we get toward the weekends. Those weekends just are completely blocked out. So I can't help but think, even though Disney did add more space for annual pass holders, it still needs to add more space to annual pass holders. They need, there's a need for them to come, especially because a lot of those annual pass holders took out the lesser block or the lesser pass, which blocks them out until I believe the 7th or 8th of August. And then that wave will start coming in. And so there's a real need for Disney to open up more. And honestly, I think you could double or triple the number of people in the park and still offer a very safe guest experience while you're there. So that's about all I'm going to talk about tonight on, on attendance numbers in COVID um, other than implications on, on upcoming closures. But, but just know that I just think there's a, a lot of, I think there's opportunity still um, very much to be had there. So I, I look forward to the day where there, there is definitely more. Now, in our last podcast, we talked about the news that Mary Poppins was being put on um, hiatus um, for uh, an indefinite time period. Um, and that um, we won't talk about any further this evening, but... Um, I think there's also a reality that the Festival Pavilion may be undergoing some 
alteration. By the way, also the Spaceship Earth, that's what I was thinking in my mind. Spaceship Earth redo was also being put on hiatus, which I don't have a problem with. I, I do think there's some updating that needs to go, but they need to do a, just a better job of doing the attraction they have, not reinventing the attraction. But the Festival Pavilion, and I've added photos of the model before they took it out because it's no longer there in the Epcot Experience uh, location, which is Odyssey. But if you take a close look at this pavilion, you'll notice a couple of things. One of those things is which um, you will see that there's actually a pedestrian bridge that goes above the main um, group of guests that are coming through. So what is actually happening in this pavilion design is that they are actually trying to create this world celebration portion in the center on different heights and levels. Um, and the best example I have of that is Tomorrowland in Shanghai. When you visit that Tomorrowland, you will see that um, attractions and spaces are on different levels. And it's a very cool feature. And no question, that Tomorrowland looks like tomorrow. And, and even though we're not calling this future world, it should still have a very futuristic look, even though there's a great deal of green space here. Um, I think this is, a, this is a really cool space. If you take a look at Epcot, you'll see that the design of that park is based on circles. Future world is a circle. World showcase is a circle. Um, together, they, they form uh, an eight, a letter eight. Inside Future World, you have the, what was originally the Centaurium Pavilions, which became the Intervention Buildings. They form another circle. Spaceship Earth, which is a ball, but a circular ball, is a circle. Added to that was the fountains. That became another circle. The lake in the center is the circle of world show. So you see that there's this evolution of circles that are in the master design. When they created the concept for this pavilion, they took out the fountains, which I'm thinking they're probably wishing they hadn't done that. But that's uh, water under the, the fountain at this point. It, that's gone. It's gone. Um, but the interesting thing about this is that they did not put this three-level pavilion in the center where the fountains were. Rather, they have put it off to the side and they've taken out the space that had the Starbucks and the Fountain View um, uh, Coke tasting uh, area and, some, and the Mickey meet and greet. All that was taken out. And this space kind of dominates that area. Why did they go there instead of toward the center, which would have been more concentric to the design? Well, the reason they did that, and it's, it's kind of clear from a photo, I think uh, one of the things that might suggest this is another photo in the, in the, um, on the notes page that you look at this and you see a small, what seems to be acrylic plastic square when you look on top of the pavilion. 
what I believe that to be is a set of elevators. And for this attraction to provide food and beverage and guest experiences and dining offerings and so forth to guests, they're not only going to need elevators and escalators. You've seen some pictures of escalators, which is in the, um, uh, the poster that I also show in the notes page. But you're also going to need service elevators. And those service elevators need to not just go down to the first floor. They need to go to a space where they can bring in large quantities of food, materials, chairs, tables, whatever, linen, whatever they need to bring in, whatever they need to bring out needs to, needs to happen. Well, that's the reason why that pavilion is located there. Most people are not aware that underneath what it was Interventions or the Centurium area originally is a utilidor or a tunnel, just like at the Magic Kingdom. It doesn't cover all of Epcot, it just covers that section. It has been underutilized most years because most of what was above it was just attractions. And so the only space that really utilized that downstairs utilidor area was uh, mouse gears on the other side. And this kind of forms a horseshoe. It doesn't even form a complete circle underneath. It just kind of forms out. It comes, enters from around the back of the universe of energy, which you could see if you were uh, finishing off the marathon, but you're too busy looking at the finish line. Um, it begins there and then it comes out and kind of does this horseshoe or um, wishbone kind of look underneath. And it does a lot to provide retail product for mouse gears. But other than that, it's sat empty for the better part of the years. I mean, there's some break areas, but they were like some of the scariest places on backstage anywhere. I've been there like three in the morning. It's, it's not a pretty picture. Um, any rate, that's why that pavilion sits askew is so that it is on top of that space. So when they talk about revisiting the budget on this puppy, well, first of all, I have to say, um, I, I'm not sure I understand totally why the budget is being revisited because the intent of this is not like an attraction location, which, you know, you build it and then you hope guests will come. It's based on per diem. That space is going to be booked for events. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if already they had tentatively booked a number of major corporate events. It's the same kind of event space that World Showplace offers where we just talked about how it's being used for food and beverage. It's not, it's used most years for event space and that's why it's never used for a food and beverage festival. But because convention business is totally wiped out right now, I know because that's my, my business, is speaking at such events, because that business wiped out, World Showplace was completely open now. So go use that as a place for air conditioning, beautiful, thought, ideal, and so forth. This was intended to be even a better space. In fact, what's cool about that is you could actually build that space and then get rid of uh, uh, that World um, Showplace and build other attractions. I am <clears throat> Mary Poppins, but... That's neither here nor there at this point. Um, and I don't know that it, that they needed that space to do it. But but notwithstanding, that's why this pavilion was designed to sit askew 
was so that it was not that it could take advantage of that utilidor space. Now that pavilion, and and the poster really does a great job of showcasing this. The pavilion is a walkthrough underneath, kind of like the exit. If you go way back to the exit of, of Spaceship Earth, you walked into a space that had that was totally open on all sides. In fact, it was kind of noisy when thunderstorms started. But it was an open space, and that's where guest relations were, and that's where they would help you do some of your um, reservations and take care of some things like dining meal plans and so forth. That got totally um, covered over and internalized or um, made into an internal room when they added attractions with the first remodel of Spaceship Earth. This festival pavilion will be was designed to completely be open underneath, probably as kind of a host site to, though you could maybe do a little band underneath there, do some things that would have cover of rain. That would be cool. The next layer is really an indoor version, although some versions of the model show that there is patio area as a part of that. And then the top portion is a, is a landscape roof um, where guests could also um, uh, be on top of that. Um, and that's really ideal because then they could be watching Harmonious at night. And that's why they've spent a lot of money on the next show because they intend to make a ton of money off of this pavilion. Which goes back to what I was talking about. I don't know why they're wanting to cut or do a lot of budget cut on this facility because it should pay off for itself unlike an attraction like Ratatouille. It should be paying off for itself over the long haul. At any rate, we do know that they are looking at the possibility of making some budget cuts. Who knows what that exactly looks like? Maybe they just take off the top floor. Who knows? Um, but there's some ways that they could do that. Um, the other thing that was not mentioned is that the play pavilion now you've got to have unbelievable faith that things are going to work out on this COVID thing to put a lot of money in this play pavilion because if you think about it it's interactive hands-on activities with meet and greets and both of those things are practically mowed to the ground in all the other parks so putting this in right now doesn't seem to make a lot of sense other than the fact that you already have a great big facility for housing it. So, and a beautiful design facility for housing it. I really want to see this go and play. I think they need to have faith, keep moving forward with the idea of opening in a year or a year and a half, maybe at the anniversary of Epcot, which would be October 1st of 22. Maybe that's the time to open that, but not, not shelve that. Still, there are issues there. So what is coming to Epcot? And that's where I really wanted to spend a little bit of time to remind you, even though we're missing Mary Poppins, even though we're not getting a Spaceship Earth redo, even though um, there may be issues with this, um, with this uh, um, uh, festival pavilion and maybe even with the play pavilion, remember that there's still a lot to come. Ratatouille was nearly ready to open, along with a creperie, which was sitting adjacent to that. So that's a whole, I mean, when's the last time we had a brand new, brand new attraction from the dirt up 
in World Showcase. So that's exciting and still to be um, still to be added. World Discovery, World Celebration, World Nature are being defined as outdoor spaces. And I showed a picture in last week's podcast or in the last podcast that I did of Epcot of some remodeling of um, of um, landscape spaces in what will be the world discovery section. It's kind of near the restrooms on the east side of what was Future World. That's that you could just get a sense of a much more park-like, much more landscape, much more um, greenscaped kind of experience. And I'm very happy about that. Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. I was a little disappointed when I passed by uh, the universe of energy and saw how empty the front building was. Now, mind you, the coaster, the hard part, goes in the back half. But there's still a lot of theming and and public spaces that got to go in the front half. So, I don't know. You know, there's a lot to come on that. Um, but it's coming. That's the good news. Uh, along with the Play Pavilion, there's no reason to think not. Space 220 should be coming soon. Um, I talked about its timing with Ratatouille the other day. But there's more. The front entrance transformation showed pictures. The fountain still needs to be done. The entry fountain. But beyond that, there is still, remember, a new Walt Disney statue and an interactive wishing tree. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't be surprised if that one gets cut. A story fountain. They need some water element in the center place to replace the old fountain. So I think that'll still be there. A new dining experience and a new retail experience to replace electric umbrella and mouse gears. Um... And that was interesting because I took a picture for the last um, uh, for the last post showing how the construction was just open air. I mean, they have gutted um, mouse gears. So there is a whole lot more work to come there. And electric umbrella I noticed last night when I was there, the chairs and tables on the second floor were still there. They hadn't even been taken out for construction purposes. I wouldn't be surprised if the budget on that gets a little bit cut back and while the neon will go away, the umbrella will go away, it'll have a pretty much similar kind of counter service looking experience by the time it's done. That's my guess on that if you're gonna look at a budget cut. Beyond that, um, Moana, well, we've talked about that. Um, moving out to World Showcase, we still have the China uh, movie that still needs to happen. And then we have Harmonious, uh, which is uh, to open. So let's let's count that out again. One, um, finish the front with the new fountain. Two, um, storyteller statue. Three, interactive uh, wishing tree. Four, fountains. Five, Moana. Six, new mouse gear. Seven, new electric umbrella, eight Guardians of the Galaxy, nine Play Pavilion, 10 uh, Spaceship 220, um, 11 um, would be, where is 11? Um, China, uh, 12 would be uh, Ratatouille, 13 would be the Creepery. I mean, clearly, even though we are shelving for whatever permanent time or short time or hopefully not too long a time on Mary Poppins and also on Spaceship Earth, there's still a lot to come into, into Epcot. That 
uh, we can be assured of um, as we move forward. Moving forward, let's go to Disney's Animal Kingdom. Last week, official word again came out to Disney cast members that the primeval world would soon be extinct. What does COVID-19 and the primeval world have to do with each other? Well, back in 2001, when the world went crazy and all travel stopped and the parks went south, they got cheap. And instead of building more expensive attractions and theme park designs, they went for this whole Chester and Hester's carnival land, which to me looks a lot like south of the border. I need to do a program on that. If I ever drive up around the Carolinas, I am so stopping at south of the border. If you look at the color tones on in their facilities, this it's a tacky, it's the world's tackiest tourist stop. If you look at the color tones of it and the color tones, of um, Dinoland, Chester and Hester's uh, Dinorama, you see that there's an awful lot combined. I've never heard Joe really mention it, but I think there's that they take a lot of cues from that craziness. No loss on my part to see the primeval world go away. And by the way, why don't you go over to Goofy's Barnstormers over Disney California Adventure and cut that one out too. Let's just get away from Mouse style design rides that do this back and forth kind of thing. Although I will say the twirling aspect of this was kind of clever. It was still a terribly designed ride. It was done on the cheap. Everybody knew at the time it was on the cheap. It was cheap, cheap, cheap. And I am so glad to see it go away. The sad news is they don't got money to put anything in its place. Not when they're making budget cuts elsewhere. I'm surprised that they had gotten the courage to say we're doing something on Splash Mountain to Princess and the Frog. Because honestly, there just isn't that much money to go around. And yet, this is prime real estate for doing something better. We know that there's already um, a new themed land going into Shanghai uh, Disneyland based on Zootopia. That would be awesome. We know that there's been some ideas floated around around an Indiana Jones style redoing of dinosaur, not to take out dinosaurs, but to kind of put Indy into an archeologist excavation of dinosaurs and maybe have something happen there. Could this land also be used? Could original designs be put back in? Who knows what will go in eventually. We just know that something needs to go in. And it can't be just, you just can't be boarded up. It's too big. It needs to go away and something needs to go in its place. Um, I'm just disappointed that they didn't take out Triceratops Spin at the same time. Not that I have a problem with that ride, per, uh, spinner ride per se. I have bigger problems around... <laughs> The fact that they did announce to cast members they're taking out Rivers of Light, we are one. I understand why that's happening. After all, since that has opened, I have only seen it about three times. Now, if you haven't seen it much, know that I have a video of one of those three times um, online on the show notes page. Take a look at it. It's a revision of, an, of the original Rivers of Light. I think they did a lot of things really good. Um, I love the boats. I love the fountains. I love the animal, um, uh, 
Tiffany lamp looking animal uh, shapes floats. I love the music. Um, I loved it when they had people on it. I loved the show when the show was late going, getting started. If you'll recall, there was another show with a more Indian theme around India and they had these barges filled with, with dancers and so forth. I don't know why they don't take those folks and add that to this experience. I think that would make it phenomenal. Um, I, I did think the big Miss Green was a miss or missed. <laughs> and I think the whole thing needed some more of a ribbon to tie it together, more arc um, as well. Um, but I wouldn't throw the tiger out with the bathwater. I think it still has possibility. And I think they will come up with another show. They need another show. The challenge is, is well, the good thing, the good news and the bad news is, the good news is everything they do with projecting on the tree of life is a hit. It's just beautiful, phenomenal fun. The Christmas overlay they did was a hit. The bad news is it was a hit, and so they don't need to do anything more. They People almost get their taste of it. And, and there aren't as many restaurants to keep the whole place going open late. And then there was the whole animals staying up later because of things going on in the park. The, and, and the nighttime safari, I liked it. I liked it. I'd like to see it improved rather than go away, but I think it'll go away. I don't think that. I don't think you'll really see. Um, when we go on the holidays, I'll be really surprised if we see a nighttime um, safari by that time. There isn't any one right now, obviously because of attendance, but also because it's so late. Uh, is well, they could run the they could run the safari at this time because it's light. Um, up until 8.30 or so. So any rate, that's the big changes coming to Disney's Animal Kingdom. They've got a beautiful amphitheater, well-themed. Um, they just need a great show to go in it. And I hope they can find it. Let's go to Disney's Hollywood Studios. I'm going to take a kind of a, a side tour here and say that on Father's Day, I received... Um, a Marvel comic book on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It's the first in a five-part series. And I, I haven't read a comic book since since fifth grade, I think. Sixth grade, maybe. Um, I loved it. It was fun. It was engaging. I was. It was a little hard to follow the plot because they go to a whole lot of places. The comic, that particular uh, comic, focuses largely around Doc Ondar. And Doc Ondar is that unusual creature inside that a very expensive gift shop, um, but it's a very cool place with a lot of cool memorabilia and a lot of cool stuff to buy. Um, I, the first thing, one of the first things I learned is that there, you know, there's some strange things. There's a woman who looks like, you know, she's kind of a weird Statue of Liberty kind of person holding kind of a tablet thing and whatnot. But there are other kinds of props outside. One of them was this rock formation which looked truly weird. But in the comic book, you actually learn that that is a memorial that Doc Ondar has made to his parents. And that in the comic book, he is trying to secure a particular type of sword, not a lightsaber, but a sword that um, can be, that is of exquisite value and power and all those kinds of good things. So, um, so that's kind of where the comic book centers. 
But there's some other wonderful things that you learn um, at Doc Gondars that are is really worthy of paying attention. First of all, the comic book talks about uh, how Doc Gondar gets the Sarlacc. You remember there's a baby Sarlacc inside Doc Gondars. And that actually comes as a result of Han Solo and Chewbacca on a much earlier previous occasion doing this mission to gather him several of them. Everything goes wrong and the only thing he manages to bring back is a baby one. But that's the backstory of that uh, baby Sarlacc. Many people notice when they go into Doc Gondar's the Mandalorian helmet, which is kind of toward the back of the shop. And uh, as people have gotten to know the Mandalorian, they've come to realize that his Ambon phase pulse blaster is standing, is on the wall right next to him. So that's been a real cool feature. But what a lot of people may not have noticed is that if you look up toward the shelves that are above the store, above the entryway to the store, that level up there, on the far left, there appears to be an IG-11, otherwise known, and if you remember, and it was that, that droid that was lethal that became a nursery uh, caregiver to uh, Baby Yoda in Mandalorian. Doc actually refers to him as BK-86, and also refers to him as his primary security droid. Both are part of what is actually the IG series assassin droids, but it looks very much, it looks very similar to the one in the Mandalorian series. And so next time you're there, take a look up there and um, take, a, take a glimpse of that uh, droid up there. It's very cool to see that up there. Let's move to the Magic Kingdom. We have a lot to share there. The first is, um, Ohana means you're gone. Yes, Stitch uh, had its final farewell. It's an aloha that took longer than most alohas. Um, I, this is like four years ago that I rode that attraction last. And I was riding it, going on it, whenever it was open. Um, but you did finally declare it in its communications to cast members it would no longer be open in the park. I thought it had even been dismantled by now. But notwithstanding, it's, it's no longer an attraction. I think the attraction was a hit and miss. I think the miss was the chili dog. That smell was like jumping the shark. It, it just was a point where you didn't want to be stuck in that chair any longer. The animation on the screens of Stitch moving around the Magic Kingdom, I didn't think were very impressive. Uh, although there was other uh, film animation that, that was okay. Um, conversely, Stitch was actually a great animatronic. And the concept of a theater with this binaural sound being utilized, I thought was made it so much better than the average theater attraction. So much um, different than just another ride. So it had a unique position. Now this theater has had a long history. It first started at Disneyland as Flight to the Moon. And if you're not aware, there's not one, there's two theaters that are identical to each other to allow for the movement of flow of traffic. And that... Um, that ride eventually gave way to Mission to Mars when they landed on the moon. 
And when Magic Kingdom opened up, they opened up these attractions. I, I don't think Flight to the Moon, Flight to the Moon lasted very long at Magic Kingdom before it became Mission to Mars. The problem was is when you opened up Star Tours, everything seemed irrelevant as a flight attraction because you had Star, uh, or, or um, you had, oh my goodness, you had Space Mountain, and so Space Mountain just seemed so phenomenal. And later, I should say, you had Star Tours, too, which also was phenomenal. I mean, you just had attractions and Mission to Mars. It's just over the years, it just didn't work. So in the 90s, they redid it to be the extraterrestrial um, alien encounter. That was a cool animatronic. Say what you want to say about how crazy scary that might have been. It was a great animatronic and some very funny comedy written for the people who were in charge of that laboratory or prison cell or whatever it was it was it actually had a lot going for it then it became a um, stitch again it's it's just gone I'd love to see it used as a binaural type theater I think they've got great technology but I think they've got to come up with the right experience to to house it in um, meanwhile across the way Buzz Lightyear now I have to say I do have not done Buzz Lightyear a lot lately. My youngest son has liked it a lot, but I just found it so broken down, so ugly. And I just have not enjoyed that attraction in years. And so when I went to the Magic Kingdom on the first day it reopened to all guests, I went on this attraction simply to say, hey, I went on as many attractions as you could in the first day, and I was totally blown away. They had rechanged the queue for the attraction, which now enters the boarding area to board the vehicles, goes through a long um, aligned hallway before it goes, before you jump on your vehicles. It makes it easier for the cast members to run that, uh, run that attraction and to have people lined up ready to go on it. So that was a total makeover change. But then they just went in and did a major paint job. They fixed up that place and made it look nice. It's not perfect. I think there's still a lot to be done on maybe the vehicles, but but the attraction looked really good for the first time in a long time. At least it was the same quality as Disneyland's maybe out in California. I wouldn't say it's the same as Shanghai's. Shanghai's has a better Buzz Lightyear, um, but all of it was really good. My show notes page for this podcast shows a picture, you're not going to see anywhere else, of remodeling going on Main Street in the area that that uh, sandwiches between First Aid and the restrooms and Casey's. That whole area, which used to have a beautiful little fountain, and it was all really nice and everything, that has all been mowed down right before park closing. And they were doing that because they saw the need to build another corridor, a wider thoroughfare, to get guests out of the park during the 50th anniversary. They were thinking this whole thing was just going to be an enormous amount of traffic coming to the parks and so they had already started work on this and then COVID-19 came along and they stopped and 
they have to do something with it. I don't know how much they're going to want to change the backstage area in the same way they changed the other side on the east side. This, of course, is the west side. But, um, but currently, they're having to address something. Um, do they go with that plan or do they do they do something more modest moving forward? Um, it's hard to predict. I mean, they will have big crowds again someday, but it's not in the budget for big crowds right now. So, all right. The last piece I wanted to talk about this evening is Cinderella Castle. This is being done as the centerpiece icon of the 50th anniversary um, let me say that I think this is looking really good. I think it's beautiful. If they had just done a great paint job and just cleaned it up in time for the 50th, I'd probably have been happy with that too. But this is, this is kind of lovely. It reminds me of some of the shades that you find of Shanghai Disney's castle. Um... The pink is a little bit more salmon. The blue is a little more purple, kind of, depending on how the light hits it, it seems. It's not completely done. It wasn't completely done when I was there on the first day, but there was a lot that had been done. The gold is what stands out. And what I like about the gold is it really focuses your attention on the on the gables and the little gingerbread details of the castle. It really makes those stand out. Um, and that's why I kind of like it. it. It makes you focus and look at the castle in a different way than you had seen it before. Things stand out that you hadn't really seen or hadn't really paid much attention to. So for that reason, I just... I kind of like this, this version of the castle. Now, it hadn't been all completed. There is a picture of what looks like a paint by number where every brick had a different number. They paint the whole thing in the color of the mortar of the brick. And then they paint each brick based on a different shade. So it's a lot involved doing it. It is a paint by number by all means. I also notice, and I hope this gets some gentle, loving attention, but the ceilings in the in the corridor through the castle were were sad looking. They really they looked like sad looking, like Disneyland Paris sad looking. It really needed attention. But I would hope that that's still in there. Still, that said and done, I think when you come to Walt Disney World, you're gonna like it, and it's going to stand out as a special picture. It won't stand out as a more than you in the picture, but it will be something you say, oh yeah, I remember that. That was during the 50th anniversary of the park. And then you'll still have other pictures of other castles from other visits and and it'll all be good. But hey, I I love this. I'm glad that it's it's wrapping up quickly and hope that um, that guests like it when they, they come and visit uh, Walt Disney World. You know what I would do? Since Bippity Boppity Boutique is gone, I'd love to see a specialty real uh, specialty retail space put in Bippity Boppity Boutique. Used to be a retail space, 
wouldn't it be great to capture some some really lovely memorabilia of, of for the 50th and and purchase it in the castle i just think bippity boppity boutique could ha happen anywhere it could be moved to the adjoining shops if there's a long term for it i just don't like it in the castle i think the castle needs to be more of a public space for all guests mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe you agree, disagree. But at any rate, that wraps it up. We've been to all four parks and covered so many little details and we'll continue to cover more as the days and weeks and months proceed. We have a lot to cover. We have a very special podcast coming up uh, next and you're going to want to make sure you listen to it. It's really kind of cute. And so be sure to listen to that. And thank you for joining us. Remember, that uh, wherever you are, whatever you do, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.